0: You see him? Somebody come get him. Of all the things he could have got, he got an apple. Yep. I didn't make any mess. Just like at home, I don't make any mess. All right, children are going out with their leaders. They're going to have a time. Next Sunday, by the way, we will not have anyone to leave the sanctuary for our Christmas Eve candlelight service. Everybody stays in the sanctuary and we'll have a lot of special things uh, associated with that. But today, the children do get to go out and uh, prepare for next week. In fact, they'll come back in and have something for us on Christmas Eve. I we'll share with you this this morning as we turn to Micah. We don't go to Micah very often as the book to be able to look at from the prophet, but today we'll be looking at one verse, primarily just one verse only from Micah in the seventh chapter of the seventh verse. But before you, you can find that, let me tell you this. This is what prompted the message, and a lot of this message was actually, or a portion of this message was actually preached yesterday, uh, so if you are here yesterday, you're going to hear some of it back again, but there's a longer version of it today. But here's what prompted it. The last Tuesday, I was doing my typical every morning bus route, and I pulled into a trailer court on the west side of Princeton. This particular stop is where the majority of almost 70 kids get onto the bus. It's like 18 to 24 kids at this one particular stop will get on the bus. And as each child gets on the bus, I have a habit of greeting them by their name, when are getting on the bus, which allows me to only greet them with a smile or a high-five because so many kids like that, like Devin. Devin rides the bus, and she always gives me a high-five. And I acknowledge their name as they get on the bus because it, it lets me know who's on the bus, really, in case there's an emergency. I mean, I have this in my mind about who's on the bus and who's not. And I was doing so like I do typically every day. And there was one child that I didn't see get on the bus, didn't call him by name. And I then see him on the bus, I asked, well, one of the other children from the trailer court, I asked his whereabouts. I said, where is he? Well, the cousin of the child that I was questioning, the cousin came up from back in the bus, and they came up and whispered in my ear that he was in the hospital, that he was suicidal. And I was instantly just shocked and really saddened. Because the very thought of one of my kids on the bus being suicidal kind of troubled me. It really began to break my heart. Now here's the thing that added to it that I need to share with you. He's in second grade. Second grade. And it's just amazing because it begins to demonstrate that we just never know what someone is going through at any age. I mean, this is a little boy that should be simply just enjoying life without any kind of worry. But instead of living life at this full as an eight-year-old, he's already consumed with thoughts of ending his life. I mean, instead of being consumed with what toy or gift he's going to get for Christmas like most children are, he must be having some sort of fear or worry or something that triggered negative feelings about life. Rather than having the joy and happiness that comes with the holiday season and knowing there's only two more days till we get our Christmas break, he has complete sadness and misery and doom and maybe even some depression as a second grade. And apparently, I began to think about how he must be living without hope. And maybe that's where you find yourself this morning or maybe someone that you know and someone that you love that is living without hope. You're like on the edge, taking in the season the best that it can, but you still living without hope. And like I shared with people yesterday, I mean, it's Christmas. I mean, this should be the season of hope, and hope should be in the air for all of us. But for some, it apparently is not. So the message we had a little bit yesterday and we expand upon today is how we can restore hope that's given to us at Christmas. Again, we're in Micah chapter 7, verse 7. Let me just read it to you because it's just one verse. Rather than you just stand, let me just read it to you because the one verse says this from Micah chapter 7, verse 7. Micah's reading, Micah's prophesying. He says, but as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord, just uh, reflecting upon the story I shared and how we find people who are, during this Christmas season, who should be full of joy and happiness, how they are maybe saddened and sorrowful, maybe depressed, and are then moved towards hopelessness. Lord, today, if there be anybody here or anybody listening later to this message, I pray that this will be beneficial for them to restore the hope that's given to us through your son Jesus. In a time in which we should be hopeful, Lord, let us receive that message today. We thank you for giving us the hope given to you by your son Jesus, Lord, in it is a new path. I keep talking about yesterday. I mean, I mentioned earlier how the Lambash Memorial Service was just a great success, and I shared this brief message with them about everyone for hope. Again, there are 79 names that were mentioned yesterday that primarily passed away from last December through the, really the end of November. We really don't get into December of this year. It will be for next year as well. But, you know, when you think about that, it's kind of understandable how someone would maybe have their hopes to be crushed by the loss of a loved one. So it was an appropriate message to have for hope and healing for them. I mean, many people were desperate to have their hope to be restored. I mean, today we share that message, but we, we have a bit of a longer message. And so I, I want to start with the fact that I share with them that if I have been preaching according to the Advent calendar from the very beginning of the Christmas season, there's four weeks of Advent leading to finale, but the very first week of Advent is hope. By the way, the following weeks is peace, joy, and love. But many people begin to ask, maybe begin to wonder, why hope is the first of the four? I mean, in fact, some people would say, well, why even have hope? Because all hope will do is let you down when nothing happens. From but that's a really sad perspective for outlook to have in hope. But yet many people continue to feel that way. Especially when they have built their hope up for something so large But there's no results that come from what they hope for. So with yesterday and with today, I think it's appropriate that we go back and share with you this fact, that hope is one of the most important virtues of the Christian alongside with faith and love. I mean, throughout the Bible, there are many verses that can be used as encouragement, especially when you begin to yearn to restore the hope in life. Now, if you recognize today, then, the, all the many verses talking about hope, I chose one from Micah, Micah chapter 7, verse 7, because it reminded me of a situation, maybe the second grader, how Micah was in misery, maybe even a bit of depression, and maybe the second grader is too, or how Micah maybe was in his situation, which is mentally exhausted and kind of dejected, and maybe even in anger. So if we refer to Micah, which is our featured text for this morning, to be able to expand the point for hope, we need to ask ourselves, well, why, why is Micah, the prophet, feeling this way? I mean, what was happening in the world at this particular time? So let me set the context and explain to you why Micah is having this depression or anguish. I mean, the powerful Assyrian army or the empire was expanding westward at this particular time, demanding surrender and tribute. At the time of Micah's misery or anguish, the northern kingdom had already fallen to the wicked and evil Assyrians. In fact, the Assyrians marched in and destroyed the capital city of Samaria and took many Israelites into captivity into exile. That all happened in 722 B.C. And because it happened in the northern kingdom, fear paralyzed the southern kingdom of Judah, with this king at the time being Hezekiah. Well, sure enough, just as Hezekiah feared, the Assyrians also then invaded Judah in 701 B.C., devastating Judah and carrying many others into captivity. But as the Assyrians had devastated, marched into Judah, and captured some people, King Hezekiah began to pray. I'm thinking, dude, you should have already been praying. You should have already been praying about the situation. But he began to pray. And God then heard his prayer and delivered the city from the Assyrians in answer to Hezekiah's prayer. So the Assyrians are no more. But that time of repentance for the Israelites and Judah was short-lived. I referred to, mentioned slightly last week, that Judah once again become rebellious, and ultimately Judah would fall to the hands of the Babylonians again later, 586 B.C. But at the time that Micah is writing this, none of that had yet happened. So the prophet prophesies and is in anguish at what he learns from God about the homeless. His anguish then turns into misery and a bit of depression for his people. In essence, they are hopeless. They see all this happening. They, they, they you know, they got it on Facebook. You know, they got it on Twitter. They see all these things happening in the Northern Kingdom. They hear about the Assyrians. And so they get really nervous, they get fearful, and they get hopeless about what may happen to them. They're living day to day in fear of what might or what could happen. So the prophet then begins to proclaim in Micah chapter 7, verse 7, again our text for today, he says, but as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior, my God will hear me." As I mentioned earlier, many people in the world today are living without hope. You may know some. You may be one of them. But many Christians and even non-believers are living without hope. I did some research and found that although this poll was taken many years ago, in June 2020, the results are really not much the same. It said the CDC released data that suggests one in four One in four adults between ages of 18 to 24 have considered suicide. It also found that, according to a recent study by the Harvard Youth Poll, 51%, the majority, of young Americans aged 18 to 29 reported feeling down, depressed, or hopeless for at least several days in the previous two weeks. So that shows you how people go through periods of hopelessness and despair in their lives. It almost seems like no one could be immune to that. I mean, it's targeting an age group of 18 to 29 or 18 to 24, depending on the poll and the study. But while the study kind of targeted young Americans, it should be noted that regardless of age, there are many people living without hope. In fact, researchers and psychologists state it's very difficult, very difficult, to actually estimate the number of people who live without hope, because hope is a subjective feeling, and it's hard to quantify. But nonetheless, it's important to remember that there is always, listen, there is always hope, and it's never too late to seek help. And the best, the absolute best source of hope is fulfilled with the coming of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. But the birth of Jesus is why we celebrate this season. Is Jesus brought hope into a world filled with hopeless people. I shared yesterday a quote from Billy Graham. He said, this Christmas season is one filled with the message of hope that is found in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Yet for many, this time of year is only a magnification of the hopelessness and despair that they feel inside, whether this hopelessness comes from a loss of a loved one or commercialized view of Christmas, the Bible has the truth about this matter. You know Billy Graham, I use it because he makes a great point here, because hope is mentioned many different times in the Bible. In fact, it's been said that hope is is mentioned over a hundred times, at least a hundred times, the word hope is mentioned in Scripture. In our English Standard Version, it happens to be 164 times the word hope, or a form of, is used in the Bible. I mean, the Bible has a lot to say about hope. Biblical hope, if you will, has as its foundation faith in God. But the word hope, it, it, it gets kind of, it's like love. It just kind of gets lost at times in our English language. And the word hope, in in our language at least, conveys some doubt. Like, for instance, I could say, I hope it's not going to get cold later this week, which is the forecast, and I hope it doesn't end up snowing on a break because we would like to have some warmer weather during the Christmas break. Or I hope the Colts make the playoffs because all these different things pertain to hope, which we hope for, which may actually insist that there may be some doubt within it. So sometimes that word hope in our language gets mixed in with a little doubt about whether it will happen. But in addition, the word hope is also followed sometimes by the word so, like the answer that so many people give when they're asked if they will go to heaven when they die. A lot of times you may hear someone say, I hope so. However, that is not the meaning of the words translated hope in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word batak has the meaning of confidence, of security, and certainty. It's the word for hope in Hebrew. And the concept of doubt is never part of the word. You find that meaning, the batak, with the confidence, the security, and the certainty in the story of Abraham. For instance, in Genesis 22, when Abraham and Isaac are going to Moriah, and the promised son's with Abraham, and Isaac is inquiring about the sacrifice, you know, he has a wood, all these things is happening. And they're marching, and he inquires the son Isaac about the sacrifice, having not been born with them. That's why they go to Moriah, and Abraham never doubts that God will provide. I mean, he was confident. He was certain. He even told his son Isaac in Genesis 22, verse 8, that God would provide. He never doubted. He was sure. In the New Testament, the word hope is actually the Greek word apizo. But like the Hebrew equivalent, there is never doubt attached to the word. So when we conclude from that, then, both the Old and the New Testament, is that biblical hope, biblical hope, we can say just hope in general, is a confident expectation or an assurance based upon a sure foundation for which we wait with joy and full confidence. Those are big words, but all it means is this. There's no doubt we know it will happen. We're sure it will happen. I mean, one of the verses in the Bible that actually is full of the word hope is Hebrews 11.1, 1, which says, Now faith is being sure what we hope for is certain of what we do not see. That verse actually is the beginning of the faith chapter, chapter 11 of Hebrews, but it carries with it all the confidence that comes from knowing for sure with no question what will be promised by God will happen. Our faith is confident assurance for it's found upon the rock of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of the actions of the Hebrews of the faith chapter in Hebrews 11 were made possible because they had faith. based upon their confident assurance that God would keep His promise. And the same thing still happens today. If we hope for something, we truly know that God will deliver us. In 1 Peter 3, verse 15, it tells us we should always give an answer for the hope we have. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The reason we have hope resides in Jesus Christ. For biblical hope, for believers to have hope, is a reality. We know. It's not a feeling. Biblical hope Hope for believers carries no doubt. Biblical hope, hope for believers, is a sure foundation upon which we base our lives believing that God will always keep his promises. And God truly does always keep his promises. Billy Graham says, hope is unshakable trust in the fulfillment of God's promises. That's what we know. That's what we believe. That's why we can have hope. God always keeps his promises. Case in point, the season which we're in. God promised the coming of the Messiah. The people in the Old Testament talked about the coming, the Savior of the world. Throughout the Bible, there are over 100 different verses talking about the promise of the coming Messiah, the Savior. MacArthur, John MacArthur says, God gives a sneak preview of the Messiah back in Genesis when Jacob provides the future blessings for his sons in chapter 49. When Jacob comes to Judah, he says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nation is his. And MacArthur goes all the way back to the book of Genesis to talk about how it was told the coming of a Messiah, a Savior to the world. That's just one of many Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah. A few others are this, Numbers chapter 24. Verse 17 to 19, so I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. A ruler will come out of Jacob. Another one within the book we're reading today in Micah, in chapter 5, verse 2, says, But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Of course, you may be familiar with the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Then it says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, and he did. Chapter 7, verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Jeremiah 23, verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. I will raise up for David a righteous branch, He shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. The Old Testament is full of prophecy about the coming Savior of the world. God kept his promises. The Savior came. The New Testament adds these verses. Luke 1, verse 32 and 33. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Similarly written in Matthew, but slightly different. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. He will bear a son. He shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. He shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God. The promise coming of the Savior of the world, the Messiah, resulted in hope and the hope that Jesus offers to everyone is still available today. Hope or confident assurance can be ours. We trust the words that he who believes on me has everlasting life, as written in John chapter 6, verse 47. One of the commentaries I was reading last week said this, accepting the gift of eternal life means our hope is no longer filled with doubt, but rather has a sure foundation, the whole of God's word, the entirety of God's character, in the finished work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The truth is this: while hope provides joy, peace, protection, and strength, according to various scriptures, I could go on and on about the scriptures that reveal this. It also provides a way forward when times look bleak. Psychologists' research on hope has found this. That when people feel hopeful, they tend to face pure mental health concerns. We have a society riddled with mental health concerns. But when people feel hopeful and recognize that hope exists through Jesus Christ, we tend to have pure mental health concerns. It's also conversely, people are experiencing despair or hopelessness, are often more likely to be challenged by depression, anxiety, panic attacks, and other problems, because the depression in particular can contribute to feelings of despair and hopelessness. Psychologist also says that hopelessness can also affect physical health. People who are not optimistic about their health or about medical treatment are more likely to remain sick, more likely to remain have high levels of pain, and less likely to see improvement in overall health. It just shows how we must cling to hope. Many mental health professionals can hold that hope. They they proclaim that hope, hope is indispensable key to happiness, and believe that people cannot be happy without hope. That's experts in the field. Who strongly suggests that hope is indispensable key to happiness. And believe that people cannot be happy without having hope. So the question maybe we need to ask her as of hearing that is this: Are you living without hope? Or somehow are you experiencing unhappiness here this morning? Because if so, I urge you to listen. To the entirety of the Christmas story, or to read it in Luke and to read it in Matthew, recognize that hope exists through Jesus Christ. And to change something this weekend or this week or the holiday time and accept Jesus' son is the hope is given to us by the Christmas story. It's the Christmas season. It's the season of hope. Hope fulfilled with the most special gift ever given to mankind. It's Christmas, and hope is in the air. God offers mankind the hope through His Son. The Bible is clear. Hope is available in abundance. In fact, let me leave you with five things the Bible says about hope. Number one is this. Hope is never lost. You know, sometimes it's difficult to see hope in a particular circumstance and situation. But the Bible says that hope is unseen. And if we can be hopeful for one thing, such as salvation, which is unseen, then we can be hopeful in other things too. That sounds really simple, but it's just that simple. If we be hopeful for one thing after salvation, which is kind of unseen, then we can be hopeful in all other things too. Romans chapter 8, verse 24 says this, For in this hope we were saved. The hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for something they already have? The second thing I leave you with hope is that we can be confident in hope. We can find rest when we confidently hope on the Lord. The first point stated that hope is unseen. But we ask, well, if it's unseen, can we trust it? I mean, after all, we can trust the chair you're sitting in to hold upright because we can see it. And you can feel it. You can see it's going to hold you in place. Or you can trust the coffee mug in the morning to give you the coffee and, and to contain it for you because you can see it. But likewise, there are things we can trust that are unseen that we, that without seeing them. Like we can trust, most of the time, the insurance company will cover a certain amount of losses. Or we can trust in the baking cookies will always leave a wonderful aroma. We're confident in them because they're legal and natural laws. In the same way, although we can't see it, we can be full of hope. And hope assures us that we can be confident because it's the law of God. I've mentioned Hebrews 11 warning, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Third thing about hope down in the Bible is that true hope comes from God. That just says it all. True hope. Comes from God. He is the creator of all things, even including hope. You know, sometimes we hope for things in which there really is no hope. Like, for example, a new car cannot bring you hope. Cannot bring you true hope. Now, a new car may bring you, or a teenager, a feel of contentment, and exhilaration, but not real hope. Financial stability cannot bring you real hope. It can bring you security and level of ease, but not true hope. A sports championship, the World Series, cannot bring you true hope. Now it might bring you joy and celebration for a period of time, but not true hope. Even your spouse cannot bring you true hope. Because a spouse's ability is only what the they can control. True hope comes only from the one who created hope, God. True hope comes by trusting God. when circumstances are difficult. Romans 15, 13 is a featured verse yesterday. May the God of hope breathe all joy and peace as you trusted him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The fourth thing I leave you about what hope refers to in the Bible is that hope is a gift. A wonderful result of hope is delivered to each and every believer by the Holy Spirit. He gives us the power to hope, and that is a demonstration of God's love he has for us. Hope given by him works together to give us confidence, joy, peace, power, and love. When you have all those, you recognize that truly is a gift. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. And then lastly, recognize this, hope endures. Hoping in God, listen, hoping in God will never leave you to despair. Because God has a plan when you look to Him. He has a plan for your future that is full of hope. Proverbs 23, 18, There's surely a future hope for you and your hope will not be cut off. A, va- a favorite verse of many is Jeremiah 29 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in and a future. Somehow you're suffering and needing hope. I hope some of this helps you today. I mean, encouragement and refreshment for your soul can be found in the Word of God. Various scriptures from the Old New Testament offer hope and encouragement. In fact, everyone Everyone at some point in life needs to be reminded of the time we can have hope with God in Jesus Christ. The Bible offers that to every one of us in our daily lives. So I'll leave you with this truth. Listen to this. Hope comes from God. The truth is this. No political party, despite what they want to tell you, no presidential candidate, despite what they want to tell you, can promise the kind of hope and change that the Bible Offers to anyone who puts their trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Let me say it again: No person, no presidential candidate, no political party can promise the kind of hope and change that the Bible offers to anyone who puts their trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Our hope is not to be found in men. Our hope is not to be found in politics. Our hope is not to be found in President Eight. It is only to be found in the God of hope. Let us look to him. Let us keep our eyes fixed on heaven and on the hope that awaits us each of we get there, knowing that it is a secure hope and one that is available for every saint, for every believer in Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful. Psalm 25, verse 5. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Father, Lord, we thank you for these verses today that pertain to hope and how this message, Lord, can hopefully restore or hope for us in our lives. If we're living today without hope, Lord, I pray these verses would speak to us today and your word would speak to us of how we can truly find hope, the hope comes from you, It is found in your son, Jesus. Lord, it is right to have a message of hope during this Christmas time, because you gave each of us hope when your son came into this world. We are eternally grateful, Lord, for that special, precious gift of giving us your one and only son. He provided hope for all of us, Lord. Let's cling to the hope today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.